Hello and thank you for joining us for week two of our podcast series, The Bible Doesn't Say That. We're going to be starting off our podcast tonight uh, looking at Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13. And while you're turning there, uh, we're going to be looking at what the Bible doesn't say as it relates to this saying, obedience always leads to financial blessings. So in a way, we're looking at this through the lens of prosperity gospel. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is on a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ, who gives me strength. And this is one of those bread or butter uh, scriptures that we often go to, especially for verse 13, for I can do all things through Christ. Uh, Before we really get started into our points tonight, uh, let's look at some background on Philippians. First, Philippians is a friendly note of things written by Paul when he was in prison in Ephesus. You're probably thinking to yourself, friendly letters in prison, right? That's kind of odd. Philippians also revolves around a huge thank you that we see in chapter 4 that involves a financial gift from this church. In fact, also many believe the church at Philippi was Paul's favorite. Philippians has tons of themes that go throughout the short book, but I think the most prominent theme is joy and hardship. Paul describes the ministry he is carrying out despite his imprisonment, and maybe even because of it. Paul also states his biography as he gives us the following in this book that he was circumcised on the eighth day after birth, as it was prescribed by the Mosaic Law. He mentions his Israelite roots. He states that he's from the tribe of Benjamin, from which the first king of Israel came. He states that he's also a Pharisee. It's also interesting to note that he says he's zealous to the point of persecuting the church. And lastly, he says... And this is kind of mind-blowing that his observance of the law is so perfect that others can find no fault. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary if you think about it. But Philippians starts off with a greeting, and then he talks about some personal matters. Then comes plenty of exhortation. He then gives the readers that there's going to be uh, two people joining them in the ministry at Philippi, and those people are Timothy and Epaphroditus. From there, he warns against Judaizers, moves to biography, then he moves to more exhortations, and then comes the things that we see in our scripture tonight for the financial gift, and then he closes the letter out, and that's it. So, what we have investigated is found at the very end of this prison letter. So, back to our saying, what the Bible doesn't say, 
Obedience always leads to financial blessing. Let's really look into this thought. And really, as I looked into this, I uh, this week, um, there was an Arkansas woman who won $150,000 in the Powerball. And this was significant because, uh, as I live in southwest Arkansas, um, $150,000 is, is sure a lot of money to win at one time. But she actually stated in the article that God is always on time, and He knows exactly what we need. And she even said God is in the business of the lottery. And as I read this, I was kind of cringing inside, and I'm like, this is often the mentality that we have uh, when we come to meet on Sunday, that if I'm faithful, that God will reward me financially. And that's not to say that God can't work in extraordinary ways, but the Powerball, that might be stretching it. So what we're going to look at is what are some examples of uh, the prosperity gospel. And, of course, there's some huge examples where we can roast certain megachurch pastors or we can look at some things that are happening, uh, maybe that are appalling to us within church culture. But there's also some more subtle ways that we probably often embrace that we really need to look at. Uh, the first example that we can really look at is the top Christian book listing of March 2019. And uh, I didn't change the order of these, but whenever uh, I had looked up the top three Christian books bought in March 2019, these were the top three. Uh, the first one's actually a great read. It's The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, which offers some really great advice, especially for things like the envelope method, uh, savings, how to stay out of debt, things like that, which is, again, great thing to pick up and read. We get to number two that's called Beyond Blessed, God's Perfect Plan to Overcome All Financial Stress by Robert Morris. Uh, again, I haven't read that one personally, but then we get to number three, which is Your Best Life Now uh, by Joel Olstein, which we all know very well. And he often gets a really bad reputation because of the fact that his net worth is over $50 million. And uh, up until here recently, he made $200,000 in salary from Lakewood Church. And we kind of look at things like this and we're like, yeah, that's sure easy for you to say, Joel, uh, but what about me and my context? I think what Paul really is getting at uh, in his scripture is that when we rely upon God, you'll find satisfaction in whatever situation you find yourself in, whether that be a good situation or a terrible one. And so let's kind of move to some talking points and some things to think about. It's true that there are some individuals and groups that put a whole lot of focus on uh, putting faith in Christ and that, in result, produces automatic financial blessings and favor. Uh, their picture of an obedient Christian life is one of visions like this of wealth and happiness and relative ease. Uh, but the reality is this simply isn't true. Um, take Paul's life, for example. Uh, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. And uh, just hang on with me as I read this because there's some incredible things uh, that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because here we get a unique vision of Paul uh, boasting about all the bad stuff that's happening to him for the sake of the gospel, which his letter is quite wild whenever we get through it, especially when we get to around verse 23. But let's go ahead and, and jump into this. Starting at verse 16, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, 
so that I might do a little bit of boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. And of course, we're thinking as we read this, all right, Paul, what are you, what are you really after here? Verse 18, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts you on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame I admit that we too are weak for that. Whenever anyone else dares to boast about I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about it. And then we get to uh, these questions. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Back to his biography here. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And then we get to 24, where he gets very specific. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Man, he's pretty specific if he's counting the lashes here. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits, in danger of my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. So narrowed down in our words, pretty much in danger from everything. Verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of the concern for all of the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast in all things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus has the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in a wall and slipped through his hands. So as we really look through this scripture, we can see all kinds of crazy things happen to Paul because of the gospel. I mean, he got lashes. He was beaten. He was pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked. I mean, it really was a true miracle that the guy's still living to record these words. And now let's look at what Jesus has to say about wealth, and we see all kinds of different examples. But here's just a few snippets. First is, Blessed are the poor, right out of the Beatitudes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. In another area, don't stockpile your possessions here on earth where moths eat cloth and rust corrodes metal, and thieves break in and steal our valuables and said stockpile treasures in heaven where there aren't many moss, rust, or burglars. You cannot serve both God and money. Also think of other stories that Christ says. Uh, first of all, the parable of the hidden treasure, or the parable of the fine pearls, or even the tenants in the vineyard, all are stories that revolve around immeasurable worth and money. Also remember the story about the rich young ruler who hadn't 
broken any commandment since he was a boy, but he was still sent away because of the condition of his heart. Jesus' stories are loaded with examples of how to deal with wealth and money. Some stories make money seem totally useless, while other stories give money a central and significant role. For instance, think of the story where Jesus told Peter to forgive 70 times 7 times. He wasn't literally telling Peter that he needed to forgive people 490 times, but rather with no limits. Then he goes on to tell Peter a story of a king who was settling financial accounts and how that relates to forgiveness. In all honesty, Jesus talks so much about money. In ministry, money is often also a huge issue. In the passage that we read this evening, Paul writes that there had been times where his personal life he had had too much, and there was other times where he had very little. But he also gives us the secret here, that God taught him how to find joy in both situations. He can handle anything through the life of Christ's power. It's easy to trust that Paul means what he says when we realize he's writing this letter from prison. This passage also provides a context for the often misused and misinterpreted I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We see this on t-shirts and cross-stitched on pillows and all over Bible bookstores. Christians also quote this, ver- this phrase and verse, believing that with Christ on their side they will find success in every endeavor they encounter. But what Paul says here is actually nearly the opposite. Paul says he can handle the times that feel like success and the times that feel like a failure because he relies on Christ for strength. So the reality here is, is Paul isn't the one filled with strength, but it's Christ that gives him strength. Remember the old saying, everything in life except grace has a price tag. Being a Christian costs us all something. We learn life's best lessons in difficulty and adversity. I believe, unfortunately, this is why many people leave the faith. They think that salvation is Christ kind of creating this magic that makes them immune from problems, or two, that they'll receive huge blessings. But unfortunately, hardships do come, and many simply don't weather the storm. There's a lot of also thinking coming from certain wings of the church. The reality is there's a lot of really bad theology out there, celebrity chasing and even health and wealth messages and name it and claim it stuff. We have way too much of that. And most of this can all be summed under the very typical labor label called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a twisted form of Christianity that teaches obedience, giving, and faith as a way to get stuff from God as a way that if I work really hard and I'm perfect, he will open up heaven and shower down upon me blessings. And if we're really honest as we're listening to this, no one would probably admit that they've embraced the prosperity gospel, even if it's more of kind of like a side hug than an embrace. But there's always a more extreme example to point to, like Joel Olstein or Joyce Meyer or Joseph Prince or Creflo Dollar. So we let ourselves off the hook when we look at characters like this. But prosperity teaching is sneaky. So I've kind of got together a list of five sure fine signs that the prosperity gospel might have crept into your life without you realizing it. 
And here's the first one. The first is you can't accept that Christians are bound to suffer. In fact, we again learn our best lessons in the place of suffering. Think back to Paul's recording of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, again boasting about all the things that had happened to him because of the gospel. We really realize here once we uh, give our lives to Christ, we're naturally going to have problems. It's just important to remember that Christ is our strength, not we find strength in ourself. Self-reliance gets us nowhere here. The second point is if we believe poverty is just a lack of faith. And by poverty here, we're not just meaning education or finances, but many other things, such as maybe social capital or our worldview or um, what kind of language we use. There's all kinds of things here. And often if we see, let's say, a panhandler on the side of the road, we often say, well, the reason they're there is because of their own choices and because they just don't have the faith that I possess. That actually is so far from the truth. The third is you care more about personal prosperity than the peace of God or shalom. That it's often we all naturally desire to have peace and predictable rhythms and steady jobs and steady income. But when we care more about that than God's work, we can really be in trouble. The fourth is that we can't see that the gospel is revolutionary good news for the poor. It's crazy to think that most of Jesus' stories within the New Testament are about the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, those that had no social status within society. And in Jesus' upside-down economy, these people were often put on the top of the paradigm, whereas the powerful, the religious, were often at the bottom of the paradigm. And so we have to remember that the Beatitudes really is how Christ sees the world. And lastly, if we think the prophet's main job was to predict the future instead of rail against injustice, again, we might have really missed it. So, again, think over the five surefire signs that the prosperity gospel has crept into your life and think, is there any of those areas that I struggle with? Maybe, maybe I've bought into one of those ideas. And those are not an all-inclusive list. They're just five suggestions. As we kind of get close to wrapping up our podcast this evening, much of the prosperity gospel is meant to give hope to those who come to Christ. But it can also cause unnecessary doubt. If the Apostle Paul was not secure in his theology, he might have felt shame for the hard times. We might even think this even in our life, that if I'm enduring all this hardship, I must not be a very good Christian. And there could be all kinds of reasons we think this. But the reality is, whenever we're in those very tough times, in times of trial or times of hardship, or whenever things don't make sense, or whenever we experience significant loss out of nowhere, 
We can always rely upon Christ to be our strength whenever we don't have the strength. We don't have to muster that within ourselves. Uh, that's something that we actually get supernaturally from the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, our talking points and talk actually in week two of our podcast, The Bible Doesn't Say That. Um, join us for uh, next week as we're going to investigate some other things that the Bible does not say. Feel free to drop us some comments, or if you have any questions, uh, post them on our Facebook page. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to uh, seeing you next week. God bless.